gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space i'm your regular host scott weatherly and as always i'm joined by julian and julian all i have to say is bar weep gra weep nee nee bong bar weep gra na weep ninny bong yeah. <laughs> i had to look that up uh how are you doing you okay i'm doing fine I'm uh, excited, jazzed, as you might say, to talk about Transformers. How about Excellent. you? Yes, no, no, this is a real. Um, this was a, a, watching this film this back this time was an experience because Transformers to me has been something that's just been in my life since I was a child, um, and I, I mean I think it's possibly one of the most successful franchisey things to come out of the eighties. You know, there's like numerous iterations of it, thousands of toys. Um, but watching this film this time, I was a bit like, yeah, wow, brutal. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, it, was, it was good. I really enjoyed it. But, yeah, it was interesting to go back. And I went back and watched some of the um, TV episodes as well, the original Gen 1, so Season 1 episodes, just to sort of get a bit of a point of reference for animation and sort of stuff. So it's been been quite good fun um but yeah so yeah well, it is a brutal brutal movie i mean uh, there there are times <laughs> where every time i watch it i'm just like you know watching it this time i thought uh you know one of some of my favorite movies are a clockwork orange and natural born killers and i'm like mm. well you know maybe that makes sense because years before i saw those i was <laughs> watching you know Megatron shooting, gunning down people and close-ups of their dying faces. Well, all, all I could think of was, yeah, the first part, I mean, this the, the thing I said, we are, we're going to be doing Transformers the movie from 1986, uh, which, again, it's called the movie, but it's very much a stepping stone, isn't it? Like, this film does not exist independent of the shows. Um, but the, it was weird. All I could think of, especially for the first sort of, like, 25 minutes, was Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's just relentless. Like it's re- and once because once this film starts, like it doesn't stop. It's like um, I, I, I can't remember the, uh, the guy who wrote this, uh, Ron Friedman. Like you know, uh, I don't know if he was involved much in the TV series, but like it almost has that sort of like, like we've got twenty two minutes to tell the story, like cram it in, and they just do that for an hour and hour and a half. Um, yeah, I think I think it kind of like sags a little in the middle with that. You know, I kind of call it like the space odyssey business as they go to, you know, Quintessa and the, and the planet of junk. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I have that same impression where you're like you, you check your watch and you just say, um, you know, I saw this uh, when it was re-released in theaters uh, for I think it was a 35 year anniversary. It's amazing watching it in theaters mm. again, you know, I did when I was a kid. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you just kind of, like, check your watch and you say, like, oh, you know, like, how much has happened in the first 25 minutes? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is, like, you can't compress this more. 
No, and that was it, because in my head, and I, I watched this not too long ago, like a couple of years ago, because I've got this on Blu-ray, and, and um, you know, so watching this time, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, spo- spoilers, if you haven't seen it, but like, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Optimus Prime dies about an hour in, and that's then they go to the finale. Nope. <laughs> like, they clear house, like, pretty quick on this. Um, and I, that's what was I was that's what I was so surprised of. And also to say the levels of brutality in this film, um, and I mean, it's a PG, but it's only a PG over here because it's got a swear word in, which again um, was a bit like I've forgotten about that. I completely forgot about that. Um, but I think we, one of the things I was confused about is the time frames and the time scales for. And you need to help me with this because you are the Transformers expert. Of, here um so i went back and i watched some series of series one and series Mm -hmm. one uh is seems to be very much sort of set what would have been present day in the 80s transformers um the ark crash lands on earth you know four million or whatever years ago is reactivated and then they obviously uh mimic existing technology then so optimus prime comes the truck and so on and so forth (laughs) This film, though, appears to have like is a time jump, isn't it? Did that time jump already happen in the series, or does this film facilitate that time jump? Yeah, that that's new to this film. So, like the, um, you know, like the show started in uh, eighty four. Mm. So, like Transformers debuted in eighty four, and those first two seasons, there's a sort of you know, uh, three-parter, and then there's the rest of the first season, and then they did a big, like, order of, like, 65 episodes for the second season, and, you know, the second season is that second year of toys was largely focused on combiners, mm-hmm. um, you know, and Transformers was a, a huge hit, and while they were making that second season, they were making the movie uh, to get it out into theaters, and so... That second season just ends with I think the last episode is BOT, where it's just it's just a it's just a stupid episode. There's no introduction to this at all, and you just go into the movie and it's like the year is two thousand five. Yeah, you know, and you've jumped twenty years into the future. Yeah, and you know, Spike's grown up. He's got a kid. Um, you know, and they just start introducing like new characters um, <clears throat> from the off. I mean, is is this? You know, like hot. I mean, something like, I can't remember because I haven't got season two. But like, you get like Hot Rod, RC, uh, Cop. I mean, are they all new? To this? Yeah, those are absolutely all new to the movie. Hot Rod, Cop, obviously mm. Wheelie, who's introduced. Uh, Ultra Magnus is totally new to this. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, there are some le- like Bumblebee is obviously a legacy character. Um, Grimlock obviously is a legacy character, but. You know, pretty much, I mean, Springer is new to this. Mm. Uh, all of those characters were new. And these were, well, another thing is that, yeah, they had toys accompanying them. So this was like the year where the toys transitioned into like futuristic stuff, right? Mm. Because suddenly it was in the future. So before then, the theory was that they were, you know, robots in disguise. Uh, that doesn't, you know, always make sense when you have a, a mini bot that's a UFO. <laughs> but, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, for this toy line for 86, the gimmick was like, okay, now we're doing futuristic cars. Mm. Now we've got futuristic jets. And so that was a real departure. And this was also the first time where the design models were created for the movie first. So until then, all of the toys, literally all of them, 
were pre-existing molds from Japan for previous lines. And even those combiners that had never been made as toys before had been designed for a pre-existing line. So they just imported them, shoved them together in a universe together, and then they create a cartoon um, model for them that in many cases departs radically from the toys. The toys still departed radically in 86, the movie year, but the designs came first rather Mm. than, um, Mm -hmm. you know, figuring out like, well, you know, Ironhide and Ratchet don't have faces, you know, because they were designed to be like mechs that were piloted by people, right? So, you know, let's just uh, ignore that and some (laughs) kids are going to be really pissed when they buy those toys. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. You can sort of tell um, that there's, I don't know, watching it now, like I say, that you, these these second-gen characters, or if that's what they are, but these newer characters, like, more is done to sort of, you know, like, I love, I think Optimus Prime is one of the most iconic characters of pop culture. Like, you know, it's it's one of those, what do they say, um, if someone can identify a character from its silhouette, then you know you're onto something like you know he's that you know you recognize that uh, maybe not the Michael Bay version like that's just a mash of metal but the original version like you recognize it and the same sort of goes for some of these you know they've really put some effort into it. and I, cause I think Hot Rod is great like because he looks cool um, you know the design's good um, and then the fact he turns into a really cool car you're like oh yes yeah, so that's a, <laughs> and it's one of the first things you sort of see in the film it's like it's a really you know, you can tell there's a bit more of like, oh, this has got to be something that's got to be flashy for the film. Um, and also, like I say, having a female Transformer, um, you know, seems like a, um, I'm not going to say progressive, but like, you know, it's interesting that they've thrown that in there as a sort of uh, um, uh, a character. Didn't do a great deal, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I first of all, you know, I'm in love with RC. Mm. Uh, no woman is ever going to compare with <laughs> RC. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I'm flabbergasted by, as you know, I have a, a big Transformers toy collection and I, RC is one of the characters that I have the most of uh, different molds for her. Um, and, and they never released an RC toy. Uh, oh, really? You know, that's wow. Yeah. Oh, that's surprising. Yeah, no, it, we didn't get, we got like one that was a spider like 20 years later and it wasn't until uh, I think it was the the thrilling thirty, so it's like thirtieth anniversary, so of the original release of eighty four that we got the first like decent RC mold, and it and it's great. But um, no, I mean RC was, and they never explained why there's gender all of a sudden. Yeah, that <laughs> um, was that was what confused me because I'm a bit like, oh, so we're acknowledging that they're male and female now. That's weird in this sort of, but that's fine. <laughs> Well, and it's it kind of like, so the the third season of the show continues from the movie, and then there's an abridged fourth season, and then Japan said, um, yeah, we're going to ignore that, you know, three-episode fourth season and just do our own fourth season mm. um, under a different title. So the show does continue, and in the third season, it's kind of clear that, like, RC and Springer are kind of a couple. <laughs> um and the only there was never really an explanation of the cartoon continuity for this in the Marvel UK comics. Uh, there's a sort of embarrassing, <laughs> there's an embarrassing like uh, you know eight page uh, story, uh, something like that called Prime's Rib, 
in which uh, they explain that Optimus Prime built RC between, you know, the the mm. 80s and 2005 to satisfy feminists. And then feminists protest that they weren't satisfied. And it's like, our Prime is just like, well, I guess I can't satisfy these feminists. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's like the worst well. explanation ever. But that's obviously like now when you look at like IDW, G1 comics and mm. stuff, they don't do that. I mean, they have gender going back uh, now. But yeah, it was a, and, and I will say like, I, I do love their couple moments with RC that are amazing, that I just love. And one is when they're, you know, during that awesome, just like battle in Autobot City, where mm. it's just, you know, it goes on and on and on and it's so grueling, you know. And Hot Rod says, I wasn't worried for a microsecond. And RC says, then you probably didn't understand the situation. Yeah. You know, and she just shuts down this mm -hmm. kind of like masculine bravado. It's like, no, war is dangerous. Don't give me that cocky masculine bullshit. Uh, and then there's another scene where Hot Rod intervenes and, and says like, you know, I've got you, RC. And then there's another strafing attack and she throws him against the wall and mm. saves him from the attack and says, you know, no, I've got you, yeah. you know. Uh, but then she kind of reverts to just the female character. Yeah, the sort of the, the third, you know, that's sort of like saying to the second act and third, like she becomes, you know, but that, that that first act though, the whole first act of this film, you know, the reason I sort of say, um, I think like Pro Saving Private Riot, is because it, it, like you say, it's a prolonged like war, like it's a prolonged battle scene, and it goes on for like a good thirty-five minutes of an hour and a half movie, um, and it just sort of. I mean, the, the one thing I'll say is, and again, I don't, I hate to nitpick these things because it needs to be, you know, it's there to facilitate the story. But when they're on, um, is it Prime and that they're on Moonbase One? Yeah, they've had. Um, uh, what the, what are the, the 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 birds called the sort of uh, the, the going to sound wave? Um, laser beak, laser beak. Yeah. yeah, like they've known about this character for like you know, like you say, got on sort of like going on twenty five, thirty years <laughs> and longer because obviously that before they crashed on crashed on Earth, and they've got no defenses against this. Thing. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you sort of you know that setup at the beginning is like you sort of deserve this. It's your own fault. You feel like, you, you know that they use this character. Um, but again, like you know, it starts like Megatron is more brutal in this film than you know. He's a, he's 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 never like Skeletor levels of bumbling. Like you know, he's never. He, I don't see him like you know some of the other eighties uh, villains. But in this film, like you know, they attack. Um, there's, there's an acknowledgement they haven't got enough energy on, so they've got to go uh, do like a bit of a shuttle run to Earth. And then when that ship's attacked by the Decepticons, like it's a slaughter. Mm -hmm. And that's it then. And I'm like, oh my god! Like that—that's when it starts. I'm just like, oh, it started. Like no one's safe. Uh, who is it that's killed on that ship? Because I was a bit like, oh, is it Ironhide? And and because they seem. To oh yeah, them. Ironhide is the one at the end yeah. where Ironhide has already been shot down, and they've conquered the shuttle. And you see Ironhide, Ironhide's hand reach to grab Megatron's leg, like to to valiantly resist yeah i mean and ironhide's been there all along man like from episode one of yeah. classic characters and 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 megatron just looks down at him and uh, you know i i love uh you know um you know he says like you know such heroic nonsense yeah and just blasts him with his cannon yeah. and, and obviously just killed yeah i mean it's uh it's really really brutal that i think was 
for me watching it, you know, sort of even more traumatic than Optimus Prime. It mm. was just like we were in a different universe in which, yeah, war has casualties. Yeah, and that's what was like you say. You know, before it's always been the death of Optimus that sort of um, that's you know has been the iconic thing that everyone remembers. But this time watching it, especially like I said, when they attack Autobot City, and you see like Autobots being shot and killed left, right, and center, it's like, oh my god! Like this is like you know, I'm looking at my toys and going, "Well, I don't need you anymore. I don't need you anymore. Like you're gone. Like it's 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 a well." That was the point. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like (laughs) you know, the point was. You know, like Optimus Prime sold great in 1984, right? Yeah. He sold great in 1985. Almost no toy line ran longer than three years. I mean, yeah. Transformers lasted twice that long. G.I. Joe lasted, you know, three, four times that long. But, uh, you know, it was like, okay, we're going to ditch these old toys, man. Yeah. We're going to get, you know, the next generation in. Yeah, I mean, and right before the, that canon scene where RC, you know, says that stuff to Hot Rod, she's pulling the bodies of oh she's pulling the body of wind charger yeah obviously dead and uh and then you see she leaves it next to the body of wheeljack it's like that's wheeljack (laughs) he's just a decaying corpse like yeah and you have to leave the body there's so many times like they say you know uh hot rod and cup are still out there it's like no they gotta fend for themselves we need to activate the city Mm. and and get the defenses up there are so many just brutal warlike decisions. Like, no, this is actually a robots fighting a real war with casualties and brutality uh, at a level that we never seen. Well, that's the thing. It's so many is so many of the deaths in the first act are just so unceremonious. Mm-hmm. That they're just sort of like you say, Optimus Prime is the only one that gets that sort of level of of um, you know in that sort of John Wayne sort of way. And it's great. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, it, it's great. And we'll get to it in a second, but the, the, it's this weird thing of the tone of this film that again, like in my own head, when I've watched it, because I've probably watched it in the background and I've just watched it with the cartoon and I've, you know, all this other stuff. And I've read um, some of the comics Like you, you see, I have a certain tonal nostalgia for this. Which was slightly jarred, recognizing some of the things you're saying, but also when it's accompanied by Vince DiCola's sort of like the music for this, like you know, it starts mm-hmm. with like you know, like you got the touch. It's got this sort of amazing sort of like eighties um, pop rock songs, and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And then the mu- then the war starts, and you're just like, no, wait, what? <laughs> this this wasn't how it's supposed to go. Um, it's it's. It's really sort of—I wouldn't say it's sophisticated, but like, it's willing to sort of like kick you in the teeth and go right, move on. Let's you know, going to keep going with this, because um, the music plays a really big part in this film. Like the soundtrack, I've got the CD as well. The soundtrack in this is ace. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's almost like a rock opera of a mm. movie. I mean, you know, and I would say it's sophisticated. I think you know, uh, I I have in my notes like. You know, we were talking about Akira in season one, and I said, like, I like the animation more than I like the story. Mm. Um, you know, here, I, I think the animation's at that same level, not every scene, but there are lots of stuff that just is so stunning. Mm. And, uh, but I love the story, and, and it's a mess, but it's like a, it's like a jammed together pack of where every minute there's another crazy idea 
that just has stuck in my mind and gestated and grown. Um, you know, that sequence that you're talking about with uh, the touch is the Stan Bush song. Mm. Um, you know, I can't watch that without crying. Uh, you know, Optimus Prime is watching the city be destroyed. And he just says, Megatron must be stopped no matter the cost. And he and you have the sense he knows he's going to his own death. And, you know, the, the power rock starts and he goes in and then you see like, I mean, he transforms and you get that iconic sound. And, and then the camera is swooping around him as you're seeing like thrust trying to run out of the way of his of his chat and he's reflected on the chassis and he's just jammed by this car and then optimus prime, like boosters mm. you know squirt you know out of optimus prime and he transforms into the air and the camera pulls around him as he's rotating and blasting in midair and it's just like i remembered those sequences as a kid like that stuck with me as like this is what animation can do. This is, uh, you know, the, that's something I, 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 we, I've sort of missed, and and I will get because you're right. Because there's there's a couple of things about that sequence with Prime that's uh, I want to I want to sort of mention. But the thing you then you mentioned about um, the animation <clears throat> and what cartoons can do, uh, and yeah, you could know, do it now with CGI, but they couldn't really do it then. But they could now. The film starts with Unicron. Yeah. As well, and we haven't mentioned Unicron. We talk about brutal. Like Unicron destroys a world at the start of this film. He literally ingests it. Like he is Galactus of this sort of of the you know, the of the Transformers universe. But there are shots to to show how big this thing is. As it swoops around, the sort of the planet sized Unicron going through space, and then you know, and then as he's attacking, uh, what's the planet called? Because they do name it at some point. Um, yeah, I forget. But he, you know, it swoops down, it goes through, and you see all these, you know, you see all this like, life going on on this planet. Um, and I'm just like, you know, the scope and the scale of this thing is when he attacks, and you see the horns going in, like, you get a um, scale of what is going on. And it looks ace because it's then replicated later on when Unicorn, Unicorn, Unicron finally transforms. And takes on his sort of like humanoid like robot form. That transformation is stunning. Mm -hmm. Like it, mm -hmm. it is, it is amazingly well done. And uh, you know, it's one of those ones watching thinking that like, I've forgotten how good this looks. So again, like you know, they, they, someone's drawn this, and it's sort of like the, <laughs> as it's transforming, someone's like it's sweeping past, like uh, you know, metal uh, these objects sort of like shifting and rotating and stuff. But it's not a fixed image. It's no, no. We're going to float over this and swoop, swoop through that. It's yes. There are some really ambitious um, animation shots in this, and it's, it, it, I don't think that gets mentioned enough. I think so. You're right, but um, so yeah, that is a really good book. Because I tell you what, even the one at the early when you've got um, what's Spike's kid called? Daniel. Daniel. When he he takes off on, and it's, I don't. Know, I just really like it as a shot. He's got like a hoverboard. Uh, which one mm -hmm. day we might get? Oh God! And he takes off on that hover shot, and he sort of like he swoops one way, and then he swoops, and then he hits the rock, and then obviously like you know, hot rod comes in and he, he transforms and captures him and then drives off. And I'm like, it's just so kinetic, like it's just there's mm -hmm. just so much movement and energy, and you've got the grass sway and everything. Like it's brilliantly well done. It's excellent. Oh, well absolutely. Done. I mean, I think that's an amazing sequence, and mm. and that's the dare sequence. There's mm. the other, uh, yeah, uh, the other song by the same guy who did the touch stand Bush. yeah yeah i mean that's i think that you know like with the grass and i always remember that sequence 
Yeah, and so I will lord the, the the animation in this is great. I mean, there are moments when they clearly cheap out a little bit later on, yeah. um, but that's that's just the way that get it goes. Um, well, I want to say something about this opening sequence because I mean, I think you know, obviously I'm biased. I think this is like for my money, just about the best opening sequence in any movie ever. Um, it it starts so it's so. The other thing is like this is Transformers the movie. There's nothing subtle about the Transformers, okay? <laughs> I, I'm the biggest Transformers fan, but I mean, the Transformers are a stupid concept, okay? The whole point is they're robots, they're aliens, they turn into cars, they turn into <laughs> planets. Like, why are they doing that? Eh, we'll come up with some excuse later, right? We'll just throw these different toy lines yeah. together. And, you know, I mean, you come up with the explanation afterwards, right, for the crazy idea. I mean, this is not a subtle franchise, right? And it starts with this subtle, surreal opening, uh, you know, with ethereal music. And it's a mostly silent sequence, you know, where you're seeing like Unicron floating through space and establishing, you know, this whole uh, alien culture. And then, you know, my boyhood mind always races and says like, well, you know, how many planets are uh, technological, have mechanical mm. life in this universe? It seems like we're the exception. But you see this beautiful sort of like utopian uh, planet and then you watch an entire civilization destroyed and you swoop inside Unicron and see it, you know, being processed and ground up for energy. And, and you go through this whole cycle of ingestion and turning it into energy until you see the energy ripple through his the uh, spires around mm. Unicron. And then the camera sort of zooms off. And it's it's just the most staggering, like, I mean, to open, what a way to establish a threat. And, you know, like, fuck Galactus, you know? I'm a guy <laughs> in a purple suit, you know? Like, you know, and, and Unicron obviously dwarfs him. But, you know, I mean, I just think it's such a stunning and ambitious and cinematic and and silent, uh, largely silent. I mean, at least for dialogue, there's very little dialogue and brutal uh, opening sequence that doesn't even have any of the main characters in it. There's yeah. no trans. I mean, who, this is so insanely ambitious. <laughs> well, it is, and that's the thing. Like I say, because all this happens before you've even had the title sequence. Mm -hmm. Like all that happens, and the, like you say that's the thing that happens because the music's great, and you've had all this, and then it's sort of because um, they read they re sort of do the Transformers theme uh, for the film, which is obviously you know that's their one, that's what they do. Um, but I, I love the fact that you do. You get the sequence, and then it pulls out, and Unicorn, Unicorn sort of just floats off into space. And it is that thing of like, here's your buddy. This is what you're going to have to deal with. And then it's the da da da, -da, -da, -da and then you say Transformers, and that's when it comes forward. <laughs> and you're just like, like, yeah, it is a hell of an opener for like a grabber because <laughs> you're just like, all oh, right, yeah, no, I'm in, I'm in, for, I'm in for this. This is great. Um, but it doesn't, and that's the point. It doesn't stop because then it goes straight to Moonbase. Um, one and then you get the whole sort of Decepticon attack and as you say it leads up to um, and, and this is the other thing you've said like you know you've clearly been a level of brutality a lot of the stuff that's happened in this opening bit has been played out numerous times in episodes gone by yeah we have seen you know even in the title sequence to the the first series you know you see um, Transformers sort of shooting each other and wrestling and fighting and all sort of stuff and I always think there's an episode, and you'll probably have some of the, the, the more about it, but there's an episode where it's the first introduction. I always remember it because it's where um, 
Megatron and, and uh, Tropicus Prime finally face off in a sort of like, you know, one shall, one shall stand and, you know, one shall fall kind of thing, which is obviously the end of the film. But one of them has like an energy axe and one's got an energy mace mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, it, obviously that was done for the cartoon and in, is in, in a lot more, uh, I'll say a lot less brutalist, a lot more sort of like, you know, cartoony. But it's just such an iconic image. And so when I first see this one, you're like, oh, it's going to be a replay of that. Nope. <laughs> like this is like at no point are they gonna sort of say, and we've got plasma weapons or anything like that. No, no, no. This is a gun and fist fight. Um and it's 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 so good. Like that bit of like, Optimus Prime riding in, uh John Wayne style to sort of like take them all on and then sort of face off against Megatron. Um it it feels decisive. Um Yeah, I mean I think I think you're getting at like the difference of tone. Uh, between this and that show and you know what you're talking about occurs in that original three-parter uh mm. you know the, the first three episodes but um you know the uh it you know i remember okay so you know like true confessions uh i was a huge gobots fan and <laughs> you know one of the things that i hated about the transformers uh you know i think gobots are underrated you know the toys were filled with die casts they were great toys um, and Transformers were so much more expensive. Mm. And, you know, people, you know, obviously I'm a huge Transformers fan now. But, I mean, for me, the movie changed everything. And there's no doubt, I mean, even the, the Transformers episodes are better than the GoBots episodes. And Transformers, the number one thing Transformers did that was smart was having, like, all these different levels of toys. So, mm. you know, you have, like, a $50 toy that's just, like... I've got Omega fucking Supreme, you know, yeah. and all the kids of your neighborhood are like, you're the rich kid. We're going to play at your house, you know? Um, and I was lucky to have like an Optimus Prime, you know, but, um, you know, but uh, in retrospect, you know, I remember like, this was the movie that changed everything for me. Mm. And, and this was the movie where I saw that animation. I saw that level of violence. I saw like, you know, war with consequences um, you know, I saw, you know, the, the, the rock music and I also saw, you know, what was never in the show before. Like there's no matrix. Okay. In mm. the first two seasons, that's not a thing. There's even a famous episode where they have like an x-ray of Optimus Prime's chest. There's no matrix chamber in there, you know? <laughs> so, you know, this was all invented for the movie. Nobody says till all are one until the movie. And suddenly you have this movie that has a shockingly different tone. And in that tone, the Transformers have a fucking religion. Mm. Like, they have prophecy. They have a religion. Um, you know, they have these beliefs that are... And yeah, at the end of the day, sure, the Matrix is a MacGuffin, right? But, you know, that blew my mind. You know, mm. that you have the... You know, it was part of, like, fleshing out, like, this is an alien civilization that is different than us. and it, It's not just, you know... I'm Optimus Prime and I believe in freedom in the American yeah. way. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and so for me, like this was just such a seminal movie, both in my understanding of science fiction, but also looking back on the Transformers, it's this tone that mm. I wanted. Yeah, no, it is. And that's the thing. It's a step up. It's, it's funny that when you see these things, that, that there's a weird thing about this, isn't it? Like you can't do this in Saturday morning cartoons, but you can do it in the for this for the big screen, you know. Um, and there's been others that have done this, you know. I always think of sort of uh, Batman the Animated Series and Mask of the Phantasm, mm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like they, they, they were made by the same people. They're drawn by the same artists. It's done by the same. But there's a clear tonal shift, you know, between those two. Um, and so you go, yeah, but this one's a film for the screen. Like it's a big film, and you go, yeah, but it's still the same thing. So it's it's, <laughs> it's odd, you know. But um, yeah, like I said, that that was what strikes me most in this is that tone. You're right. And it's it's you know it's a bit more sophisticated. It's willing to do more. Uh, so when Prime does go down and you get that and there's a, there's a great scene and it, it, it's good i mean it's it's you know sad i remember as a kid sort of being like you know i expected again even as a kid like i expected optimus prime to be back by the end of the film and when he's not mm-hmm. on the credit at the end of the film with the credits roll and you're like oh fair enough <laughs> um but when he dies and th- they do several things in this which is interesting that they do with the things like he does you know I'd, I'd imagine his eyes go out you know the whole almost like a the terminator sort of thing but he goes grey, like he loses all colour. Um, yeah, and that's like a and really... his head falls to the side. Yeah, he he can't even hold the matrix up anymore. <laughs> like it, they do everything to make this as traumatic as possible for yeah. an entire generation of kids. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Like it's it's a decisive death. Like it's like oh no 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 no, no. he's gone. Um, I, I, I'm assuming does he come back? Did he ever come back in the the original run? Um, in series three or four, yes. So, so killing off and bringing this was the first time Prime was killed off. Killing yeah. off and returning Optimus Prime is like a, a trope of yes. Transformers. Uh, so in the in this series, in season three, actually, there's a great episode called uh, Dark Awakening where the Quintessons reanimate Optimus Prime's corpse. But he's like a zombie corpse missing an arm, and he attacks (laughs) the other Transformers and ultimately saves them by committing suicide and driving it. I mean, it's like, man, the balls the show had. But then uh, they did bring him back at the very end of uh, season three in a two-part, you know, that was called Mm. The Rebirth, where basically, like, you know, I mean, there's this problem of sort of like, I love Rodimus Prime in this movie. But, you know, obviously, like, he's the messiah, right? He's the chosen one that all Transformers history is leading towards. And he's kind of boring. You know, everyone yeah. likes Optimus Prime and everybody kind of hates Rodimus. And I think he was never written right. And so people wanted Optimus. And so they brought Optimus back and uh, he gets the Matrix back. And and then um, in the Headmaster series in Japan, that was, you know, their version of season four, uh, it's not in the American continuity, but in that splinter continuity, almost, you know, right away, they kill Optimus Prime for a second time. <laughs> and then he stays dead for quite some time, and then comes back again. It does It does seem like it's a bit of a trope. I mean, it's, it seems like it's one of those sort of staple moves that, you know, you are aiming to get to. Like, you know, when you get certain characters, like there's a, there's a certain event that's got to take place in their, you know... Um, their history of somewhat in some way um but like i say as a kid like for me that like, this is pretty decisive like and um yeah i can I say i thinking back to the toys that i had i had quite a few well, quite a few i had a couple of the gen one i had an optimus prime i had a grimlock i always loved grimlock mm-hmm. i think trans the toy of grimlock was ace like, you know, mm-hmm. the head flipped back and you open up the chest and the legs turn around, all that kind of stuff. Like, it was a really good toy. Um, and um, I'm sure I think I also had, I think, you know, I had a couple of others 
uh, of the lesser ones. Um, but in this, like the, the, one of the ones I always, always had a problem with, and it's sort of um, is fixed when you is fixed in this film really is Megatron. Now I mm-hmm. love the design. I love the design of, of Megatron. I think he looks great as a, as, a, as a robot. You know when he's up and he's walking about, like, and also Frank Welker's voice for, for Megatron is, is excellent. Like I, I think he's a fantastic character. And again, that iconic silhouette. Like you, you know, you can't mistake Megatron. Um, but the fact he sort of not only does he change, not only does he transform, he changes size so that others can hold him to wield him as a gun, um, you know. But then even as a toy, I was never convinced. Um, I've never had a Megatron, but I know someone who did. I remember, I remember the toy, and even thinking then, like, hey, it's a bit naff. Um, All right. Well, well, there's another problem with that toy, which is that that like Ironhide and Ratchet is a case where they made a cartoon model that looked nothing like the toy. Mm. That cartoon Megatron, you know, looks killer. And also his name was sort of based on the term Megaton, you mm. know? So it's like, it, it just invites nuclear Holocaust thoughts, right? But, I mean, yeah, he's he's iconic, but then he turns into this gun. And the toy has a trigger in his crotch. Yeah. A, you know, little metal trigger. It looks <laughs> nothing, you know, these skimpy little legs. Um, yeah, so, I mean... Okay, so all of the original Transformers were taken from pre-existing, like the GoBots were too, mm. from pre-existing toy lines. And so this makes a lot of sense when you think about it, right? So so Soundwave turns into a cassette player. Yeah. You know, all yeah. those laser beak turns into a tiny little micro cassette, right? It's not even a full cassette. Mm. Uh, it's a micro cassette. Uh, Blaster and those tapes, same thing. Uh, those are, those and and uh, there was also in the original line there were there was another gun and there were a few other toys like that. So Megatron, he was a good guy in the original line, but you know he turns into a one to one gun. So that's a line of like one to one scale toys. Then you have like all those Autobot cars and you know the Starscream and the Jets, and those are not to really scale with each other, mm. but those are in theory you know like somewhere around like one to sixty or something scale. Well, you've got toys that are one to one and one to sixty. <laughs> that they just said, "Ah, screw it, they're kids." You know, threw them into the same line. Yeah. And somebody, you know, decided Megatron should be the big bad. And so, this gets into. I mean, this is just a problem inherent with Transformers. I mean, they try to do a better job. They do a better job of it in the Bayverse, but mm-hmm. it's a problem, and that bothers you or doesn't. Uh, and it's that basically, like. Uh, in most continuities, the Transformers have mass shift, mass shifting. Yes. Um, you know, that's sort of like Miracle Man. There's like a parallel dimension that they're somehow accessing as they transform. And uh, one of the most famous instances of it in this movie is as the Decepticons flee Autobot City, they all get into Astro Train, yes. right? You know, who is a guy who's, you know, smaller than Megatron. Yeah. Uh, in robot mode, but turns into a train and a space shuttle. Like a yeah. space shuttle is enormous, right? Yeah. Devastator, who has just like bashed down the walls of uh, Autobot City, is inside Astro Train. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, it, it makes no sense. And, and this bothers you or it doesn't, but it's he's just. He's got the TARDIS. He, he has a TARDIS stomach. <laughs> They've all climbed inside and there's some sort of dimensional, like, say, space uh, thing. It's, yeah, it's. it's it's not so much the thing is it doesn't that's the thing it never bothers me in the film 
I, mm-hmm. I accept it because of its, its. It was always the toy that bothered me. Before that, because it was that one-to-one sizing compared to Optimus Prime, that was a, obviously like a truck. Um, and that was so, yeah. But like you say, but I was never bothered by the fact that like I then had a Bumblebee or a, a Grimlock or whatever. And you think, well, they should be much bigger or smaller than things. So, yeah, it's just a pick-on thing with Megatron. Um, but I still love Megatron in this. Um, and like you say, they make some interesting decisions because not only does Optimus Prime get killed, Megatron technically Megatron wins, which is interesting. Um, you know, like he's like because I mean, Prime is killed out, is killed outright. Right. Megatron sort of, sort of is injured and he's gonna probably die, but he survives enough to be sort of like scurried away into the into you know, um, as they escape. And it's only when he sort of jettisoned, um, when you know, they say, Oh, we've got to lose some, we've got to lose some weight so we can get away. And they kick up the there's a great scene, and this is what I love about some of the Decepticons when they, they, they actually go to have a vote <laughs> about who should be who should, what they should do. And they're like, Right, we need to get rid of the dead weight, you know, those in favor, and everyone who's healthy is like, Yeah, yeah, everyone against, there's mm-hmm. all the injured people, like it's 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 oh, a, and, they, and they go, No, yeah. it's, so, it's so pathetic, right? Yeah, the cruelty of that scene, right? And and also, like, talking about the animation, like, it doesn't actually make sense in space, right? Mm. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. But, you know, how they're flying and, and Starscream, you know, holds Megatron, the injured, just devastated Megatron. says, like, Megatron, how it pains me to do this. <laughs> and drops him and he's swept underneath the wing. There's mm. something about the way that, like, he it doesn't make sense in space, but then he's, like, just deposited like trash and just swept underneath that wing yeah. as if there's drag, right? With gravity, but it's not. But it, it, yeah, it's great. And then instantly the Decepticons start fighting about who should be the new leader. And there's the sense of like, oh yeah, Megatron has been holding together this like riffraff yeah. that, you know. that And that's the thing. It's sort of like, it, what I really like about it is that, that it's clear that like, oh, there's a reason Megatron's been in charge. Like, He's the one that they all fear. And it's, I mean, it shows from the beginning like how brutal and sort of, um, you know, violent he can be. So there's a reason. They all do legitimately fear him. That's the thing that's sort of, you know, that's quite clear. And so then it sort of comes into that battle of like Starscream and the sort of the fighter jets and you've got the constructor cons and all this other sort of fighting over who should be in charge. And it's interesting to show that, that there are the factions within that sort of... Um, that team or that that sort of side of things, um, it, yeah. Because Star, I mean, Star Scream's an interesting one because, uh, again, so that that all through the cartoon and even during this film, sort of like you know, he's obviously that sort of trying to be that usurper uh, of Megatron. Yet Megatron always keeps him around to sort of like almost just to humiliate him again or to sort of you know to give him a bit of a kick at some point. Like I've never understood why he would keep him around because it's not like he's even the best of the, the, the jet fighter, you know, the jet, the, um, the fighter jet group. I mean, there's what, there's a four of them. Um, uh, yeah. So that's an interesting question. So there were three in 1984. Mm. They added three more in 1985 thrusters and ramjet. And then, but in the cartoon and in basically every continuity, they use the seekers as kind of uh, troop builders, you know? Right. So like when you need stormtroopers, you just like recolor a seeker and just go like, oh, they got another guy. Mm. And some of those have got the names like, you know, acid rain and stuff like that. 
but uh, and, and now have kind of become characters in their own right because fans have like gone back <laughs> and be like, oh, I want a toy of that one green seeker in the first <laughs> episode that was just, you know, it's kind of ridiculous, but also kind of beautiful. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's a bunch of them. But, but yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense that Megatron keeps Starscream around, but that's another cliche of mm. the series that like the movie is just totally overturned and invents the trope of like Starscream sort of winning mm. and then getting his comeuppance, which is yes. another thing that sort of happens over and over. But again, and that's one of the things, one of the things I'd say about, you know, I wanted to sort of bring up about this was, was I wasn't expecting to sort of, I was expecting to come in and talk about Transformers and how much I actually enjoyed the film and the animation stuff. But one of the things that sort of came up whilst watching this film, there was there seemed to me to be like two themes that was sort of striking me and maybe it's just because of the, you know, it's things have changed over time, but this is a, this is coming, not so much coming of age is probably the wrong words really, but it's, um, you know, uh, hot rod stepping up, you know, stepping into the, to become the chosen one or the right, you know, that sort of character, um, is a theme throughout this film. This, you know, you got like cop keep sort of like, you know, he sort of says, um, He's going to straighten him out, you know, even if it kills him. And then it's sort of throughout it's sort of him, you know, regular, you know, little instances where he's each time he becomes a bit more, uh, you know, grown up and responsible until eventually he becomes Rodimus Prime. But there's also this idea of sort of like legacy characters, of like tradition and passing on things. Um, and, and it seems to me like, you know, the 80s was sort of when this was sort of wider than this was sort of happening. You know, I think of like, you know, uh, Dick Grayson's Robin becoming Nightwing and growing up. And then you get, you know, um, the other the other Robins coming in and, and um, Jason Todd and, Dick, you know, Tim Drake and all this other stuff. And then Marvel have sort of well, have never really had it, but this idea of legacy characters is sort of seems quite new at this period. But it seems to be like, as you said, they'd gone for a period and gone, oh, we're going to get the new guys in, but they could have just gone, oh no, 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 it's been twenty years, forget those. Here's the new crew. <laughs> but they do, like you said, they create law, they create a religion, and they create a story that provides an origin for these legacy characters or these sort of you know these new characters that. Other times would never have happened, but no, no other franchise does this. You know, like Masters of the Universe, Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters. Um, none of them really attempted to do this in any way. I mean, you know, they probably the only other one that could probably have done something like this would have been Masters of the Universe. You know, because it was it was that wide; it was an entire universe, um, and it never happened. And it just seems interesting that you know. Yes, it's to sell more toys, but they're really going to start and dig into this idea of legacy characters and and someone being worthy of, you know, this leadership role and this thing of sort of like you know it could have been Ultra Magnus. He's the biggest one. He looks cool. He's you know turns into a truck and all this other stuff. Like it could easily be Magnus. Um, you know, the dude's called Ultra Magnus. Like you know, he should be like. Um, but it's the fact that he admits he's a soldier, and then you get this young sort of punk stepping up to become the leader, and you know, it's it seems to me like that's a real sort of it's brave, but it's a really cool theme to be introducing for a, 
a toy franchise, really. Well, I mean, I have a, I have a couple comments about this. One is just uh, the importance of change. Mm. Um, you know, without without addressing the legacy thing, that like Transformers in virtually every continuity embraces wild changes over time. I mean, it's something that I really like. That you know, yeah, there's a status quo for basically two episodes, two seasons of the show, and then there's this abrupt rupture of that. And I think that's another thing that this movie brought to the Transformers mm. and virtually every incarnation of the Transformers has just these massive shifts where in some continuities like Cybertron will be destroyed even, you know, uh, in IDW, you know, Megatron repents and becomes an Autobot and, you know, uh, feels terrible for what he's done. Um, you know, you can do those kinds of things in Transformers because of the way that this movie described <laughs> change in it. Um, about legacy characters, you know, I I was nine in 1986. In fact, I was eight when this movie came out and I saw it in theaters. Um, so, you know, for me, I was possessed. I was fortunate enough that, you know, despite abuse and some challenges, I was possessed of my own, you know, intelligence and that I was going to be part of a generation that was going to, you know, sort of be successful. And I was going to be a punk artist and writer, and we were going to sweep aside the old guard and the world was going to recognize our genius. And I, and I just thought, you know, everybody I went to school with was down with this. I don't know how I got this idea. But Hot Rod <laughs> was that for me. It was like, you know, Hot Rod was the, uh, you know, you will get through this. You will be tough. This will happen. Um, and I think about, you're talking about it in DC. That's so much a part of why I always like DC. And in particular, Flash. And without getting off topic, like, uh, you know, Flash in uh, After Crisis, which was right at this time, you know, 1987, you got Wally West taking over the title and he was, you know, 20 years old uh, and had no idea how to be a hero. And he was just the Flash from then on. Um, and the I, and they did a better job of writing him than Rodimus Prime, you know, who kind of like just become, you know, you see here Optimus Prime's voice at the end, you know, arise Rodimus Prime. Mm. Um, but, you know, I love this. And, and and of course, then Jeff Johns comes in and undoes everything good about the DC universe. But, um, you know, this meant a lot to me as a kid, you know. And so this idea of legacy characters and, and inscribing the possibility of real meaningful change in, you know, a, a cartoon franchise like this. Yeah, and it's true, and, and that's, it, it's so true that it does speak to you in that way that you can see that because all the others, um, and it, it, you know, we will touch on this, you know, probably in fact on, on the sister podcast, Twentieth Century Geek, in a much bigger way. But when you look at those eighties um, um, franchises, those eighties sort of, you know, those Saturday morning cartoons I grew up in, I mentioned a few, you know. Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters is my big one. Real, the real Ghostbusters was my jam. Uh, Masters of the Universe, Thundercats, you know, all that. Um, there's two, there's two of you know, obviously Transformers. There's two that I would say are still sticking around and are strong, and that's Transformers and Ninja Turtles. 
And I think the reason for that is that they've both gone through tonal changes, artistic changes, you know, they've expanded the universe. I mean, like you say, Transformers goes off to have, I mean, you'd be able to speak more to this, but like Beast Wars, Armada, they've done a kids one called, you know, that's rescue bots and all this other stuff. Like it can be, the tone can be shifted up and down as needed. And it still works. And the same with the, you know, you had the, the, the daft 80s Ninja Turtles, which I love, um, you know, where Uncle uh, Uncle Phil is voicing uh, Shredder, which is, I didn't know until like, literally didn't know until like five years ago. That was a shocker to me, that was. Um, and now I can't unhear it. Um, but like, you know, that, and then you, you get the sort of the, the early, that goes away, but you get early, you get the films in the early 2000s turtles, then you get the, the sort of Nickelodeon turtles, and now they're doing, so it can just keep changing and recycling, and, and like, you know, they can do things. And again, you mentioned like the IDW have, have had fantastic sort of uh, shepherding of these franchises where they've sort of honored mm-hmm. everything that's gone before, but then said, but now we're going to absolutely try something new and we're going to have this whole different sort of take on it. And that's fantastic. And I think that's why they sort of see these two in particular seem to be, and Transformers more than anything seems to be the one seems to really survive the test of time when, you know, uh, logic would dictate that it shouldn't really. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, like with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I was a huge fan of the Mirage comics. And, mm. you know, I had, and they were violent and black and white and just a total world apart from the show that I also like. Um, and Transformers had, you know, I mean, I, I love the original Marvel comic. I mean, it's, which is very uneven, but, um, and, you know, G.I. Joe had some of that. I mean, the comic by Larry Hama, you know, I adored and was a much more serious affair than that TV show. I think it's interesting that at that time you would have thought that, you know, masters of the universe was a huge thing. I mean, I still think it's going to come back and, you know, but, and GI Joe, which I'm still a huge fan of, um, you know, I mean, that lasted so much longer that, that had, you know, was still making, you know, these enormous play sets years after, you know, the height of like 87 Mm. for both GI Joe and transformers. Um, but I think you're exactly right that, you know, it's this versatility, it's this embracing of change. And I think that, you know, like, I mean, Transformers probably wouldn't be around today. There's this whole, if we didn't have Beast Wars and there's Mm. this whole, like, I mean, in Transformers fandom, uh, you know, (laughs) everybody's got an opinion and, you know. Uh, people have opinions about like the scale thing and there are Beast Wars fans and, you know, they're a minority and they're kind of, you know, not treated well by, by some others. And I always felt bad for them, even though I'm not a huge Beast Wars fan, but that so radically reinvented the franchise. And then, you know, one of the, one of the frustrating things about Transformers is that the continuity is like, there's a new continuity every three years Mm. and, you know, mapping out even the G1 continuity is like a nightmare. It's so complicated and there are so many splinter versions, but the advantage of all of that is exactly as you say, like every, not just every generation, but like every three years as new kids get into it, they have a different version that all kind of reflects mostly the essential characters. Um, I mean, nothing could be more different than, you know, rescue robots uh, and, uh, the Bayverse, right? Mm. Well, 
that, that's it. I think it's that thing, isn't it? That that if you can adapt, if you can change, and if you can grow, you're going to succeed. I mean, I love Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters is, is my jam. I love the real Ghostbusters. And they tried it. You know, they had the extreme Ghostbusters in the 90s. Um, <clears throat> and, the, you know, they had sort of the Marvel, did their comics and stuff. But the problem with that is it can't get away from the fixed four. You know, mm-hmm. if it hasn't got, you know, Pete, Ray, Egon and Winston in, then everyone sort of gets a bit funny about it. It's not really been until the IDW series, and oddly enough, the game that they did for the um, um, PS3, I think it was, and, and a few other consoles, that people started to think, oh, actually, you can throw other characters in there, and they're actually quite good. <laughs> um, and so it's starting to get to that point, and I think, you know, when Afterlife comes out next year, hopefully, you'll hopefully, again, like, they'll reintroduce that. And again, like Kevin Smith is doing a continuation of the 80s Masters of the Universe cartoon for Netflix. Um, and, you know, so oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, you know, again, like they might introduce these things and these things will happily change and adapt and evolve. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it's weird how I say Transformers has done, has done that so well and, and, and accepted so many different variations. Um, well, and, and this is the golden age of Transformers. I mm. mean, you know, I mean, the fact that we even got a live action movie, you know, um, whatever one thinks of the Bayverse, you know, I mean, that's another thing fandom split about. But, um, you know, whatever one thinks about it, the f- idea that we got a live action Transformers <laughs> movie was unimaginable, let alone that we'd have, you know, six you know, movies that averaged a billion dollars worldwide mm. almost. I mean, it's insane. And then, you know, like in the toys in 19, I mean, 1987, we had, uh, you know, a 22-inch Fortress Maximus, and that was the biggest Transformer ever made. We've had like, you know, one, two, three, four, you know, five, six, seven. We've had seven official releases uh, in that range just in the last like eight years, you know, and with more on the way. I mean, you know, we're getting every version of every toy that, mm. you know, made to standards that, you know, and, and then you, you go over to like the, the boards for, you know, like Ghostbusters fans or like J.I. Joe fans. And they're like, we got one toy this year, yeah. you know, like, you know and, and we're so happy for it, you know. And you're just like, oh, man, we are so spoiled as Transformers yeah. fans. Well, they re- it's funny because it, that, that's exactly what happened recently for Ghostbusters. They re-released or they did a reissue of the Kenner um the, the you know the, the the original 80 uh 85 figures and I, I you know i got them i was i'm really pleased and they're great but you're right i've had to wait almost like 25 years to be able to say i got i, I bought a new one of those a new toy for ghostbusters because everything up until now has been they've had some of the like you said um well they like necker and some of those high-end um, toy makers have made them, but there's been nothing that's hugely accessible. Yeah, but Transformers, like I could go into a toy shop and they'd be there, you know, like variances of sort of everything, from, like I say, from the Bayverse through to um, G1 stuff. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, a you know, it's a, an absolute wealth of riches on the toy front. We're, we're literally getting a 27 inch tall Unicron early next year. <laughs> okay, you know. I yeah I mean mm. um it's $600 yeah. but you know uh yeah I mean so getting back to the movie I mean mm. 
you said this thing about like laser beak early on, and I wanted to return to this because, um, you know, but you know, there's a, there's a lot more we can talk about, but I want to acknowledge like problems with this movie. And it seems to me, you know, there's the star Wars problem of like, where does any of this take place in space? Okay. (laughs) You're, you're flying away on Astro train from earth and you jettison Megatron and Unicron's right there. Yeah. Uh, you know, okay. Um, you're on your way from Autobot City on Earth to uh, Cybertron. And I guess Quintessa and the Planet of Junk are just like on the way. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, Unicron eats the two moons like relatively early on, like in the first like 45 minutes or so. And then... I guess he's just hanging out in on the outskirts of Cybertron, clearly within those moon's orbits for until he decides to attract Cybertron like 40 minutes later. Um, so there's that problem. And then there's the thing you brought up with Laserbeak, which is essentially like this problem of information mm. and who has it. Uh, like, you know, yeah, they haven't, they have no defenses for Laserbeak, but it's also like Megatron is watching an edited version of the movie at that point. And, you know, Unicron has these screens where he's watching, you know, like the Matrix be passed to Ultra Magnus. It's like, is he omniscient then? Mm. Why doesn't he use that omniscience in other ways? Um, And constantly, like, you know, characters constantly know things that are not in evidence. Like, on, on the planet of junk, you know, they've revived Ultra Magnus later on, and they say, we've got to stop Galvatron. You know, where is he? And, uh, you know, Rekar says, uh, you know, Unicron, he's there. You know, it's like, <laughs> how do you know this? Like, you know, characters constantly are doing this. And, and it advances the plot. And, mm. I mean, okay, you know, I, I, I like all of these elements. But, yeah, I mean, that is that is catastrophically stupid in both cases. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny as well because you say it's... <laughs> You do watch it and you can be carried away with it, and like I say, but it, it is weird because the other thing as well is like they're on Earth, like Autobot City is on Earth. You know they have Daniel spikes up on on one of the, the moon base or whatever, and there's a massive battle, and then the Autobots all leave, and yeah, you know, they've obviously been there for what thirty years. Mm-hmm. We acknowledge so, but there's never any other interaction with any other humans. <laughs> You know, now, see, I like that because it, yeah. I'm so sick of like robot stories where it's like, you know, that's what the Bayverse does wrong, mm. essentially, is like it's so focused on, you know, like if I wanted to watch this, I'd watch, you know, Commando again, you know, yeah. uh, you know, focus on the alien robot. But you're right that you don't have a sense of like, you know, they don't say when was Autobot City made. There's a Japanese shore that may or may not answer that. But you know, you don't have uh, a sense of like how does were the governments of Earth just fine with you building this? Like clearly, there's a kind of like integration there, and then it's also weird. Like there are exactly two uh, two Transformers on Moonbase Two. Mm. You know, there are you know like you know this kind of like population problem where you know the most absurd version of that is uh, the raid on Autobot City where they say we're outnumbered. You have an entire city. He's got like, you know, 12 guys in in a shuttle, you know, and they're like, we're outnumbered, you know, we're the underdogs, which it works thematically, but it's very strange. It's funny because that's something that seems to have been addressed more recently, which I think, you know, um, I'll get on to. But it's funny because the end of this film is exactly that. Like the end of the film, they defeat Unicron, they defeat Galvatron and all that 
obviously it's going to go into the third series, but there's a moment when they're like, we've won and it's all great and we shall rebuild Cybertron. And you see like eight people, eight robots, and it pans out to this massive planet. And you're like, yeah, it's going to take you guys some time to fix that. <laughs> there's only eight of you. Well, that's always the problem, right? Where it's like, how big? Well, I mean, the Transformers has an enormous cast, right? I mean, like, mm. you know, G.I. Joe and, you know, uh, He-Man does really, uh, you know, you you have like a poster of all of those characters mm. and it's like, where's Waldo? But, um, you know, and that's one of the advantages of the show and they don't do it much anymore because you have to build the CGI models. It's much more expensive than hand drawing, mm. you know. Um, you can just use as many characters as you want, even though it's a more laborious process. But that's always a problem where it's like, yeah, what is the population of Cybertron? Like, we see yeah. 20 guys, you know? Well, it's funny because I, I know they've been at war for, like, you know, millions of years and stuff. But at the very start of this film, you see another, uh, like, you know, Cybertronic sort of technological, technological alien race. And that planet seems massively populated. You know, you see sort of, like, shopping centers and uh, laboratories and, you know, all kinds of things. And you're sort of thinking, you know, when Unicron destroys that, you know, oh, that's tragic because that is an entire planet. And when he comes after Cybertron, there's a part of me that's thinking, there's only eight of them. It's not the worst thing in the world. Well, you know, that's really a great point. And I don't think I've ever thought of that, that, you know, Cybertron is typically depicted as kind of desolate, that it's mm. got these like expansive metal fields and, you know, giant pits. But, you know, and there are different versions that are, you know, you see a lot of uh, troop builders, you know, a lot of, a lot of seekers in weird col colors mm. uh, going around Cybertron, but, you know, uh, and, and occasionally people make up characters to kind of flesh stuff out, but um, you know, and the, and the show would, but there is this sense of like kind of austere um, sort of unpopulated fast spaces that's always been characteristic of Cybertron in a, in a weird way. Yeah. So it, it is. And that's it. it you know, it's, it's no bad thing again. Cause I sort of, I'm quite happy to go along with it, but it has always been a weird thing of like, you know, who, who, you know, <laughs> cause it, it takes you down that rabbit hole, doesn't it? Which, you know, we can cover off when we really get into Transformers elsewhere, but like, you know, who built all this stuff, you know, like, you know, um, there's only a few of them, but even in the first episode, like, they've got the Ark, you know, like the, the, the shuttle and the spaceships and other technology. You think, like, it takes time to do this. You seem to be battling every other day. Who's building all this stuff? Like, you know, where is it coming from? Um, well, also, a lot of it looks really pristine. I mean, yeah. you know, the thing of, like, this movie opens with, you know, with that sort of monologue uh, of, you know, it's 2005. Um the or the voiceover, uh, it establishes the Decepticons have won, mm. and you know, like they they have conquered Cybertron. Um, and you know, for me, it always got to the idea that like the Autobots were cars, and the and the Decepticons were military vehicles. Mm. I always felt like the Autobots were the underdogs, uh, and I like that, even though they always win, right? Yeah. You know, but. You know, but uh, yeah, at the end, it's just, you know, it's also very abrupt, right? It's just, you know, Rodimus Prime just says, you know, uh, congratulations, you know. I mean, they just fly out of Unicron. It's like, how did you even get to the surface? Half those guys just, you know, jumped out a window, basically. They, <laughs> you know, they flew through the eye again. But 
Yeah, I mean, it is very sort of very abrupt, but but it also sort of sets up a problem for season three, which is like, okay, well, now the Autobots have won. The Maasai is in charge. The Decepticons are, you know, stranded. I mean, you know, they kind of depict it as a sort of diaspora of, uh, you know, whatever's left. Mm. Um, Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, that, you know, because this obviously goes on for another series and stuff, and they want to set up because, and obviously they've cleared the decks. You've got this new crew, which is quite, you know, it's good. You've still got a couple of others. You've still seen. You know, I think there's a there are a couple of hangovers from Gen One. Mm-hmm. In in you know, um, is Jazz there and and, and uh, Jazz and Bumblebee and Cliffjumper yeah. are, are are clear survivors. I mean, yeah. there's a nobody knows. You know, m- most of the fates of, you know, you just kind of assume they died or they didn't. Yeah. Because the other thing that I find interesting for this, I I assumed that they knew they were going to get a series. Did they know they were going to get a season three? I think they did. Um, There wasn't a big gap there. Mm. Um, You know, like with G.I. Joe, there was a gap and they went with D.I.C. instead of uh, Sunbow. But, uh, But, you know, they went right back to season three, there was a kind of pause. And I remember the five faces of darkness that sort of continues this, this sort of five parter, uh, which is a vastly inferior quality, even though it's interesting. Um, It it did sort of take a while, but it took a while to my child brain. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't all that long. So the interesting thing I I find with this film is, you know, they, they, they've obviously made some clear, there's some, there's some clear business decisions as well as creative decisions. We've lauded the techn- you know, we've lauded the animation, and we know why they did this to clear the decks for the new toys. But the other thing is, is like voice talent as well. You know, I mean, you've obviously got like you know, Peter Cullen comes back to do Optimus Prime. You have Front Welker doing it, Megatron, um, and then you have like Jud Nelson doing Hot Rod. Not the most recognizable name. He's, you know, sorry, not the most recognizable voice. It's it's a very sort of you know quite generic, really. So quite replaceable. But then you have Leonard Nimoy as Galvatron, um, mm-hmm. and you know he's excellent in this. And but it's a very distinctive voice. And if you know, yes. if you know that like Galvatron's then going to be your. Um, villain going forwards like that seems like you're setting yourself up for a bit of a problem <laughs> well they just recast the voice i mean yeah i don't know i i it does not seem like the the people who made the the movie uh you know i mean they were obviously coordinating with the same you mm-hmm. know sort of command but they uh clearly were not worried about setting up anything no. um yeah, but but you know, not to mention Orson Welles yeah. in his final film, <laughs> his final film credit. You know, and people have mocked that for years. You know, like oh, well, his final film was Transformers the mm. movie. That was just just such a point of derision, and Orson Welles hated it. You know, Orson Welles said, you know, like he did it for the money and he recorded these lines in, you know, a, a sound booth uh, ha- saying these nonsense things that he had no idea what they meant. Uh, but he was part of this like seminal thing that, you know, it's so cool that even at his lowest, you know, the sort of declining Orson Welles still was part of this like insane seminal movie. I can imagine, you know, the, the, of those three, 
that sort of I, can, I would consider to be. I mean, Scatman Carruthers is the voice of jazz as well. I didn't know if that was a, a standard thing. Um, but like those three, you know, Judd Nelson, he's done, he's doing things like, you know, Breakfast Club, he's got all these other things going on. Like, probably to get his name attached to Transformers would have been, a you know, a bit of a boon for him as a sort of a, you know, I can do voice acting as well and all sort of stuff. So I can imagine that being an easy get. Leonard Nimoy, probably a bit more of a thing. This sort of like, you know, like everyone knows him as Spark. Everyone knows this type. Of, he, you know, to have his name on the poster, that's cool. Like that's going to be the, you know, to, the draw. But again, it's one of those things. And then to have Orson Welles, because I remember Orson Welles' name being on the poster, and it's a, being a thing in um, in the in the trailer in one of the trailers. Because I went back and watched some of this stuff, and the only thing I can think of is like, you know, for a kid like me, I'd have been like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> like I don't care. I want to go see the Transformers. I want to go see the cartoon. And I can only imagine that these names were, you know, um, Mattel and whoever the animation studio is going, or the, the production studio going to the parents. No, 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 no. Look, we've got these names that you recognise on it. Like you, you know, you you bring your children. Look, it's got a level <laughs> of quality. This isn't what you're going to see on the Saturday morning cartoon. It, it's. Again, I mean, the animation's one thing, but like it's clear that adding those names are a bit of a you know, look, <laughs> you've got to take this a bit more serious than you know, um, the VHS tapes or the, the Saturday morning cartoon that you've been your kids have been watching. Yeah, I mean, I that is a curious question, and I, I don't know what the answer to that is, um, because parents hated this movie. I mean, no parent was going to go see this movie they didn't see seasons one and two, right? Yeah. They're like, I don't know who any of these characters are. What's Cybertron? What's Unicron? What's Optimus Prime? What's I mean, a Unicron? They just, like yeah. a, they just introduced like a frenzy of characters and it's just like, we're on Autobot City and they're like, you know, release the Constructicons. And I mean, if you're a parent, you're just like, who the hell are these green guys that are combining? Why don't they have more of those? And then a second later, they're like, release the Dinobots. And they, you know, you're, you're like, oh, now there are mechanical dinosaurs? Like, what what person on acid wrote this? I mean, if you're a parent, none of this makes any sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I wonder, like, who was that for? Um, but the other thing worth mentioning is that this film was a disaster. Um Film reviewers at the time, I don't know if you remember, uh, GoBot's Battle of the Rock Lords, uh, which I have seen recently, and it is not a good movie, mm. um, is, uh, you know, got better reviews than Transformers. <laughs> and, you know, uh, and p the reviews of this were like, um, you know, they use the Dare to be Stupid song by Weird Al. This was actually how I got into Weird Al, was through this movie. <laughs> and... Uh, and, you know, reviewers said, like, what an appropriate song. This is the stupidest movie that's ever been made, you know, of, of thrashing, terrible rock music. And, I mean, it just got terrible reviews. It bombed at the box office. Uh, it got backlash for, you know, from kids for killing Optimus Prime. I mean, people were traumatized and wrote letters. And, and as a result, G.I. Joe, which was in production, wound up being released, the G.I. Joe movie, which, you know, is pretty good, uh, got released on VHS. And uh, the Gem the Hol and the Holograms movie never got made. And those oh, were wow. really like the three franchises of Hasbro. So this was a sort of a, a watershed moment for them, because this was a risk. It's clear that, like, you know, that what they like said, that the, the 
the business decisions that have been made in the background, like you said, new new wave of toys. But like you say, to kill off a, 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 a an iconic character, I mean, that's literally like you know, probably not Batman so much, but like taking someone as, as a beloved as that and saying to kids, yeah, we killed that one off, and we're going to give me this new version. But look, he's a cool race car or a sports car. I think that was you know, it, it's. It's interesting because it's sort of like you know that's how capitalism works. But did did they underestimate then the emotional attachment then that kids had to the characters? Uh yeah, or they didn't care. I mean, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I think that 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 what I've read in interviews suggests that that was a directive, you know, from the top was mm-hmm. to just sort of like eliminate the old characters and replace them with new. And, you know, they turned in a movie. They did the best they could. You know, they were serious about this and cared. But, um, you know, yeah, that was a directive. Uh, In the G.I. Joe movie, I think it's Duke who gets, you know, he gets killed. Uh, And basically, like, you know, early on, I mean, he is, like, taken out of action. He's stabbed with, like, a snake it's been stretched into like a spear, you know, and it it has impaled him and he's got venom and he's like in a coma through the whole movie. And it is really clear, and this is true, that he was going to die. The point was, again, like they're passing the torch from like him to Flint, right, to mm. the next generation, even though there isn't the same kind of like massacre there. Um, but they changed it. Uh, and they just have like a scene where the characters go like, oh, good news. Duke came out of his coma you know? <laughs> because because they were like, kids are going to be traumatized. We can't repeat the mistake of Transformers mm. the movie. So, yeah, I mean, they certainly underestimated, you know, how upset kids would be. <laughs> Par- there are reports of parents taking their children out of this movie during it with the kids in tears. Well, the thing is, that scene, I say we'll go back to because because. The way that that scene is set up with Optimus's death, um, like you say, they do not pull their punches. Like they do everything to show you that he dies. You know, his eyes dim, he goes completely grey, his head falls to the side, and his arm drops, and he drops the, the matrix of leadership. And it's pretty definitive, but you can tell as a, you know, as an adult sort of watching it back, like they weren't thinking, they were trying to go, like you say, full stop, here's a new sentence, like, you know, here's a new thing. And you are supposed to sort of like, again, like completely uh, underestimating the impact of it. You are supposed to forget Optimus and you're supposed to look at Rodimus because, I mean, they literally sort of like, he captures the, the, the you know, matrix of uh, leadership and it glows for him. And he's literally surrounded by that thing is before they hand it off to, to Magnus. And it's quite clear that there must have been some executive somewhere that's gone. I don't. Kids don't like this old, you know, this Optimus Prime. He sort of, you know, he talks like the, you know, he talks like an older person, and he sort of, you know, he was clearly based on sort of a John Wayne stereotype. Now they want a cool, younger, hip punk character, and that's what's going to happen. They're going to love this opt. They're going to love Rodimus Prime. They're going to love Hot Rod. They're going to, really, you know, and I can I can imagine these meetings taking place. And people, you know, go, yeah, yeah, no, that's how we're gonna, and we're gonna, we're gonna really push him to the fore, and they'll really dig him. And then, obviously, they kill off Optimus, and kids just wail throughout the rest of the film. Um, well, it's interesting because they do everything to make that an emotional scene 
of mm. Optimus dying, right? I mean, it is prolonged. Even, you know, Optimus utters his final words, you know, and you see the, you know, sort of, uh, you know, robotic pulse monitor, you know, flat line. <laughs> and I mean, and, and it goes into slow motion as Hot Rod grabs the Matrix. Um, they're milking that, mm. um, which, you know, seems tone deaf, right? I mean, I, I don't think they do it today. Uh, certainly not in that same way. But I mean, I think you're right that it's it's sort of like, uh, well, we're passing the torch, you know, um, kids will get over it. I mean, I like that there wasn't such a coddling of kids, mm. you know, in, in their fiction. I mean, I think we've made uh, so-called adult fiction far too kid-like now. Mm. Uh, you know, we're careful with adult fiction of like, well, we can't kill that character or we got to kill give that character like a noble death, you know. Um I think we're, uh, you know, maybe a little too careful about it. And, you know, what's amazing is, I mean, it's unimaginable, this movie, without that death scene. Mm. You know, if if Optimus Prime is just sidelined from action and, you know, somebody quick draws Optimus Prime at the end, like, good news, Optimus Prime has been revived, (laughs) says Rodimus Prime, you know. Um, You know, like in that final speech, you just, you know, dub in, you know. And I have good news for you all. Optimus mm-hmm. has revived on Earth. It's a it's a very different movie. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, I it succeeds because it's so like unapologetically balls to the wall and, and and crazy. And you know, so maybe that's a quote unquote mistake. It certainly, I'm sure Hasbro regretted it, but it's part of what has made this so unique and special and remembered all these years. It's interesting. Like I say, I'm sure there was an instant regret, but like you say, <laughs> but without it, again, I don't think you have um, the the rest of the franchise at all. If it if it continued for another two years, let's like say, if you did a film um, and it was just and there was no death, they just introduced a whole bunch of new characters and like Rodimus, sorry, the Hot Rod remains Hot Rod throughout, and he's just sort of like the cool upstart in the new series, um, but Prime remains in charge, um, I, I probably foresee that it would have died a death. Like you say, you know, it doesn't change. There's no new growth. People just watch it, and it would just be exactly the same as Thundercats or, you know, let's say Masters of the Universe. It would have been great at the time, but you probably wouldn't have got much more beyond, you know, the early 90s. And you'd have probably had some unsuccessful, you know, um, revision in the early 2000s like most of them got and it would have just probably stopped there like you say this is a cornerstone of the whole franchise without it you know good or bad like it's it's what sort of thing a lot of it's built on in the future yeah and I, I think what's interesting about that is that it's still a failure for the franchise mm. in that in that sense of passing the torch um, Rodimus Prime has you know almost never been written well um Nobody really has known what to do with it. Half of the good episodes and and stories with Rodimus Prime are about him struggling to live up to Optimus Prime's legacy and and struggling with, you know, what does this mean? Or even outright struggling with, I'm a failure. Mm. You know, I was the Messiah and I'm a failure. And I I think there's been, and I can criticize writers for a failure of imagination there, but this passing of the torch didn't work and they had to bring (laughs) Optimus back. 
Um, so in a sense, you know, that, that was a, fend- uh, a failure. Like you said, I mean, they regretted it. Uh, it. It's unimaginable thinking that, you know, like Masters of the Universe would say, uh, right, so in, you know, the She-Ra movie, we're going to uh, kill off He-Man, you know? Uh, you, you can't imagine them making that decision. You can't imagine it continuing. And I think that this was a decision that in retrospect was a bad decision but (laughs) it produced this amazing scene and the trope of optimus prime dying and kind of like milking that and making that part of like a climactic story has become such a trope in transformers Uh um you know it's even used in like uh revenge of the fallen Bay just trots it out for the second movie and it's just like, all right, we're going to kill Optimus Prime, you know, uh, 45 minutes in and then he's magically going to revive, you know, and it doesn't work at all in that movie. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, it reminds me that like it, it, you know, it makes an argument for strong creative mistakes. Mm. Uh, You know, it's almost less important whether you know, your plot is a mess, you know, I mean, it's, it's less important than that. It's just so unapologetically itself, mm. make that mistake, but make it strongly. Yeah. And if this is a mistake, this movie makes killing Optimus strongly. Well, it's not even that is it? it's, 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 you say that mistake. It starts, like you say, it, it doesn't pull its punches, Like from the off, like, you know, Ironhide gets sh- off slightly off screen, but like, or out of shot, yeah. get shot in the face. And then you say you see RC dragging the corpses of other Gen One Transformers. Like it's clearly leading up to that. And like they say, there's if they're going to make that mistake, like they're like, we don't care. We're going to keep going. Like you know, it's just we're going to gun down characters left, right, and center until we get to Optimus. Um, and but it's, weirdly, I'm not. You know, I don't know where it sits in Transformers fandom, but like as a film. You know, having watched and gone back and watched some of the sort of the series season one episodes, and then watching this, like it's this film stands up, and it's a cornerstone of Transformers law for me. I mean, I'm not huge in it, so what is it like in the Transformers fandom? Is it does it stand in the same sort of? Uh... Yeah, I mean, you know, this is uh, beloved. Um, you know, I think it is. You know. It's staggering. I mean, I, I've seen this so much. I every time I take a few years between seeing this, I, I can't believe how much it's affected my life. Mm. Um, I mean, this movie was for different reasons. You know, the story of this movie is part of the you know the, the comic continuity. It was part of the cartoon continuity. It was the only story that bridged both because mm. there was a comic adaptation and. Uh, the Marvel UK comics did a sort of a sequel story to it uh, before it came out. Um, and, you know, it is revered. And I think, you know, I also think that, uh, you know, there were Vince DiCola has talked about like nobody remembered him, you know, and he would go to conventions and these Transformers fans would just come up to him and just say like, I love your music, man. You know, I mean, there is a, there's a group called the Cybertronic Spree 
that is uh, people dressing yes. in uh, cosplay of, of tra- the Transformers. And, and they started by covering yeah. the song from this movie. And it's like the most amazing, just glorious fan thing you've ever seen in your life. I'm, I'm going to stop I you mean, right there. I'm going just... to stop you right there. Yeah. Everybody, if you are watching <laughs> this on YouTube, if you are listening to this, seriously, stop. Go to YouTube and watch them. They are absolutely fucking ace. <laughs> I, went oh, down, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole watching them the other day. <laughs> they are so, their costumes are outstanding. Um, yeah, the, RC is really good, and yeah. you know, you know, hot, the hot rod sort of started as you know the front man. Um, mm. Yeah, but I mean, you know, they're they're you know the Hasbro is releasing this you know Haslab Unicron. I mean, obviously, that's based on the movie designs. Mm. Um, I mean, G1 continues to be by far, G1 is the sort of retronym for all of this stuff, uh, you know, before Generation 2 and Beast Wars. Um, And, you know, the movie is the pinnacle of G1. And I don't think anyone would really argue that. Mm. Um, And you still see those G1 designs just are kind of evergreen. They keep coming back. There's a handful of characters that, you know, have attained that same sort of uh, classic status since that have, you know, uh, are, are just amazing characters. But it's the G1 versions of things and even G1, you know, retroactive kind of reimaginings of the new characters that people want to see. Um, and, you know, that Haslab Unicron, you know, you do the math and it's like uh, they raised uh, six and six point eight million or something. I mean, I think they did more than that. Uh, mm. Ultimately, if you run the numbers like, you know, you're talking like around, you know, a ten million dollars or something to produce of people saying, yeah, I want that Unicron toy that I never got in 1986, you know, and I want it to be 27 inches tall. <laughs> uh, you know. And and Transformers fans, yeah, I think this occupies that kind of place. And Transformers mm-hmm. fans are disproportionately G1, and of G1, this is the pinnacle. It's not that, I mean, if you grew up on Transformers Prime, you know, this isn't your thing, but you probably still respect it because mm. everybody does. Yeah, it's where it all started, isn't it? And it is that it's, and it's because it takes so many risks. I just think it's, I do love it. It's great. Um, you say about Vince DiCola as well, because to me, although I know he did this, I know him from the Rocky series as well. Hmm. So to me, like Vince DiCola has sort of um, has soundtracked a large portion of my workouts over the decades. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, when I was watching the interview at the end of the, the re-release uh, in theaters and... Um, and it had an interview uh, with uh, Stan Bush. And, you know, I mean, at the, at the, you know, when I was a kid, I just like, like I said, I got into Weird Al. I mean, I, I would just buy soundtracks of any movie that I was into. Mm. You know, it was hard to get, you know, I mean, this was hard to even get on VHS for a long time. And, um, you know, and I would just like go down the rabbit hole of just like researching everything else they'd ever done. I'd go through these old catalogs and like find just uh, of just every cassette tape in existence, you know, from these warehouses. And I would order them blind just to, you know, see what else these guys had done. Um, 
Yeah. So uh, Stan uh, Bush, you know, I, he actually recorded the touch for I forget what movie it was, but it was like a, a, a totally forgettable kind of like it wasn't a Rocky <laughs> movie, but it was one of those like, you know, sort of boxing kind of yeah, 80 know, sports uh, movie. Yeah. And, and and initially his reaction of like, oh, you've repurposed that, you know, uh, anthem. Uh, for a movie that we expect to be a rocky competitor, or at least relatively successful, for this weird animated thing <laughs> that is going to disappear, and now like I made a music video, and you're just going to do green screen from the movie behind me. Uh, <laughs> but then time goes on, and you know, after a lull, uh, this stuff just became immortal, mm. and, and and it's staggering the influence uh, for a movie that flopped, and that you know. I mean, Orson Welles was embarrassed by. I mean, lots of people were embarrassed by. Had to apologize for. <laughs> yeah. It's it's weird how sometimes a flop will end up being the cult classic, or will stand up, or will eventually even define, you know, um, parts of the future. Um, but yeah, no, I, I have to say, like you know, going back and watching this and doing a little bit of research around it, like I listen to the soundtrack. I've got a CD. I think the soundtrack is ace. Like it is absolutely awesome. Um, I do go over, like, say that the the Weird Al songs on there. There's a couple of others that you sort of like. Go, eh, it's all right, skip over. But some of the songs on it are just phenomenal. Um, and I say that like, everything about this film is just it's just it's a cornerstone and a touchstone for the '80s for me for like my childhood and stuff. And um, I tried, and you know, I have a daughter. She's, you know, she's not really into like. I don't want to be. It sounds sexy, but like, but this is quite. This is quintessentially boyish in many ways. <laughs> and and so yeah. I, I showed her some of the Transformers Gen One cartoon, that season one cartoon, and she just looks at me like, eh. First, she's like, she, yeah, she got her very own specific things. But she's like, what is this? <laughs> and she's like. <laughs> This be even at seven, she's like, "This is your thing, Daddy. You, you, you enjoy. I'm gonna go watch something else." Um, <laughs> but it's great. I, I thoroughly enjoyed going back to watch this film and 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 looking at it with a more critical eye and and seeing the flaws, but still loving it. I think that's what's important. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I you know, I'm resisting the urge to say because you know, I, I, I'm so happy that there's there's decent media for girls now mm. um you know and that's a thing that people care about uh so i'm therefore resisting the urge to say uh you know uh yeah you like pokemon okay so <laughs> shut the hell up yeah. right uh you know <laughs> that would not be kind of me um mm. you know but i i love that you know the cartoons are have evolved and changed i, I wonder what you think of gem and the holograms you know probably just that it <laughs> primitively done. Um, yeah. But I mean, I'm amazed by how almost everything in this has become sort of uh, iconic in a way, you know, for Transformers fans. Uh, you know, that design, uh, I mean, talk about the lesser stuff. We've talked about like, um, you know, uh, the hot rod sequence. We've talked about the Unicron transformation sequence. We haven't even mentioned that sequence in which uh, Unicron rebuilds Megatron. Oh. And, you know, you know, you rotate around and, you know, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. And then, uh, 
you know, I mean, Megatron sliding down the sort of, you know, claws of Unicron, you know, as he's being tortured, um, you know, even, even during that kind of like space odyssey stuff that I think is a little weaker. I mean, the, the, the junkie on planet of just mm -hmm. like junk everywhere, the, that design of Quintessa, that's just like weird planet where it's like, what is going on with that? The weird Quintesson ship, uh, you know, the, um, you know, that look of like the first thing Unicron does after he transforms is just like takes his hand and just grabs the surface of Cybertron yeah. and like foreshortening and just tears through it with these giant fingers. I mean, over and over. I mean, I love the underwater sequence. Um, you know, it, it's a lesser sequence by comparison, but you know, watching uh hot rod fight, you know, these uh, you know, robotic uh sort of tendrils mm -hmm. and robotic piranha and it goes to cup who's fighting a giant a robotic squid and he blows his eye out and it squirts ink and it goes away and then cup brutally says you know fix me yeah. you know it's like amazing um you know and i could do without wheelie but you know um the the famous you know idea of sort of the quintessence putting people on trial mm. and the sort of mockery of logic which you know now is the world we all live in uh, a sort of guilty or innocent, innocent. The sentence is death, right? You know, um, you know, this upside down world like that, um, you know, hot rod smashing that Quintesson's uh, teeth out mm. and it, you know, the teeth just crumble. And then a Quintesson rips off another Quintesson's face and just awesome animation. The, the, the death of Starscream as Galvatron, you know, just returns and blasts Starscream and you see him crumble into ash. He doesn't even get a last word. He just crumbles into ash and the crown falls and Galvatron steps on the crown with contempt. I don't need these trappings of power. I am power, you know. There's so much in this that just um, might be wacky, crazy ideas that have been stitched together in this Frankenstein monster of an orgy of rock and roll and, you know, uh, craziness. But all of those ideas have lived on and become sort of iconic for fans of this movie. Well, you say, you say about the animation again, there's a couple of things that I want to touch on. Is that that <clears throat> transformation of Megatron to Galvatron, when you watch it back on... If you go back and watch it, I'll say like YouTube, like, you know, VHS quality, like it looks okay, it looks good. It's, it's you know, it's got neon pink sort of like that blueprint sort of like framework of it. It goes into his insides and sort of how it works. Looks great. Well, it looks fine. When they've done the Blu-ray and they've like cleaned it all up and they've done like the 4K scan, oh my god, it looks awesome. Like it's pinned. It's so it looks absolutely fantastic. And it's such a it's such detail of stuff in the gun on it as well, which is so cool. Um, so I do love that. The other thing I was gonna say, um, uh, you say about the, sh the there's like the Sharker Cons and, and all these other little weird, these weird characters that sort of go into it. But I kind of like as well the relationship between Hot, uh, Hot Rod and Cup. You know this thing of this this old sort of like um, veteran um, who um, God knows what's happened to him for the last four four million years. But besides the point. Uh, and Hot Rod, like you know him, that that relationship's actually kind of cool. It goes into almost like buddy cop territory, you know, of sort of. Uh, <laughs> but it's 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 again this idea of legacy of passing on the knowledge, and they have like a really sort of touching relationship of, you know, almost like you know, 
there's a grudgingness between them that grows into respect and all this other thing. And it's kind of cool. Um, but talking about the brutality of this film, <clears throat> oh, the other thing I was just I really like is Daniel gets to use one of Spike's exosuits. Um, and, for, you know, you, you see him get used to it and he gets to pick up some stuff. And then you find out that that transforms into a little car as well. Like, that's awesome. That was ace. Why not? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And you see him like driving around in that. And I'm like, that's so cool. Um, but the end of the film, when they finally get into Unicron, and you see sort of like, you know, there's obviously, you've already seen him devouring a planet for energy. But there's more than that. The dude's like a, like a, a gerbil. Like, he must keep things in his cheeks or something because you've then got like a conveyor belt of robots or, or like, you know, biological robots on like a conveyor belt clawed up uh, but they're dropped into acid and you see two like um mm -hmm. mechanical and things dropped into acid and it's like the end of terminator 2 like yeah these things these two robots thrashing around and melting into the acid where he's obviously dissolving them and digesting them and then all of a sudden it becomes uh, like a, a, a like there's a little mini moment of like a, a countdown because you find out that spikes on there and some of the others, um, I forget who else is on there. Um, yeah, Bumblebee's right behind it, Bumblebee's and then Jazz and Cliffjumper, yeah. which they barely don't mention in this show. But you know, like Spike is at the front, like this is the audience identification character, yeah. for all of season one and season two. And he is on a claw about to be dropped into a, a smelting pool that you've already seen guys' faces melting off in, yeah. And you're like, and, and with pleading desperately, like, also, like, they don't hook back, like, Daniel, now's the time. No, no, no. It's like, Daniel, now. <laughs> like, yeah. He knows about to die, and you're going to watch your dad die. <laughs> well, they don't, again, because, again, you're not sure, because Daniel finally figures out how to use the, the blasters in the suit, and he shoots it, and the door falls. But only one of the doors, uh, the one, only part of the cover falls, so when they drop, and you see Daniel thinks they're done. Like, Daniel turns, and you see tears rolling down his face. And obviously, you know, uh, he has saved them. But again, like, that is a moment where I'm watching it as an adult thinking, like, wow, yeah, this is verging on, like, horror at times. And oh, yeah. animated beautifully. Like, when you do get the close-up shots of Spike's face, like I say, that's like, they really aren't pulling back on the terror, like, you know, it is a cartoon, but he's wide-eyed, he's sweating, he's, like, screaming. Like I say, like, Daniel, don't, like, don't mess this up now. Um, yeah, it's, it's you know, there's so much going on in this film that's just incredible. Yeah, I, I'm always annoyed by, by in that scene that, like, you get, uh, you barely see uh, Jazz and Cliffjumper, and then it's, like, Shouldn't there be like you know a, an infinite line of people falling on the lid now? But you just yeah. see the four guys that matter, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. It it, it is done well. Uh, I love a couple things I haven't mentioned. You know that that part of the inside of Unicron. You know, with uh, like it's so imaginative, and I don't know how much sense it makes, but you know there are these tunnels, and they're falling on spikes, and you know there's. They have uh, like defensive claws that shoot out and are chasing them. And then there's water that's released and you kind of follow from the point of view of, you know, Hot Rod and Daniel. There's Daniel rushed down in the water and falling and, um, you know, and then you see Galvatron hiding in the darkness and you mm. just see the glow of the Matrix. I mean, there's so much that's so well done there. Um, 
And then I was thinking on the planet of junk as uh, the Junkions attack. I don't know why they wait until after, you know, Galvatron is attacked, having just been told in the previous scene, like he's just crossed all that space. Doesn't matter. Um, but in the Junkion attack, like how the animate that uh, they kind of like work in pairs, they turn into motorcycles, right? And they work in pairs. Mm. And when one of them wipes out or is like thrown off, they they both transform and the other guy becomes the rider. It's like it's my turn to ride, dude. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it's so beautiful. It is, it's some great again. It's just some great ideas throughout all this. You say about Unicron. One of the things I actually really like about it is because again, it's it's for the convenience of the film. Really, I suppose it gives them a landscape in which to to do things. Um, but he isn't. He's an he's a giant, like you know, super giant alien robot, like. I don't know how his sort of, you know, his mechanical internals work. Like, of you know, if, if you look at a human body, yeah, there's going to be some sort of like, you know, um, if he's melting things down to gain energy and sort of sustenance, it's got to be transported around somehow. So, you know, we see a liquid, don't know what it is. Uh, right. And also like those things that we've got, you know, white blood cells that keep our body safe. Why wouldn't he have some sort of defense mechanism inside it? Like, it's there. It's sort of like, you know, probably hasn't given that much thought. But it, mm-hmm. it, you can justify it in some sort of way, um, which I kind of like. Um, but the other thing, yeah, I, used to- I do like the the smelting of the beginning. Like they mm. see, like you see those pistons crunching, uh, not cr- the initial planet. Um, and then you know, I do wonder, like it's very inefficient to like have that system and then be like, ah, wait, we're gonna put everybody on hooks. And yeah. have them on a conveyor belt yeah. and drop them in a bit of that. But you're right. I mean, it just works dramatically. Right? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, that's it. Because the other thing as well, that scene with Galvatron where he steps out of the shadow and you see the eyes and the, the, the uh, Matrix of Leadership and he sort of confronts uh, Hot Rod, it really made me think of Empire Strikes Back, of Darth Vader sort of facing off against Luke. And it's just it just jumped yeah. him. I watched it this time. I was like... You know, I, I, I don't know if that's intentional, but it just had that feeling of sort of like, you know, almost inviting him to the dark side. Like, you know, look, because he actually says, doesn't it? Look, we can join together to, to fight a, a, our, our um, common enemy. Um, and, you know, there's no sort of what can be beyond that, but it's sort of, it's a, it's a nice sort of like temptation for Hot Rod. And he's, but he's obviously got to be the true blue hero at the end of the day, but it's a great scene. It's again, it's a really well done scene. I, you know, I think that uh, this is very influenced by star Wars. Yeah. And I didn't see that for years, but you know, cause I was a kid and you know, I mean, I like star Wars, but I mean, I like this better than, than mm. I like star Wars, not to be honest, but, um, but uh, you know, I think this might be the most successful, uh, sort of uh riff on star wars mm. um you know hot rod is luke mm-hmm. right you know he's the he's the young kid who hasn't found his place um you know and who through the mystical power of the matrix slash the force achieves his destiny as savior of the galaxy unicron is the death star you know he's <laughs> literally a death planet yeah you know um you know, obviously, you know, sort of Galvatron is, is you know, I mean, I'm not sure we knew that at the time, but like it, we could even say like Megatron is Anakin, right? Mm. And Darth Vader is, is Galvatron. I mean, there are a whole lot of parallels between them, but it's done in this 
you know, once you turn things into robots, nothing looks like the same story, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like the violence, like you couldn't get, I mean, even if this were animated, my God, if you imagine like, I mean, even at the end, Unicron as, you know, he's grabbing his torso as holes are torn through his body from the inside, from the matrix, trying to contain, you know, it's like you're trying to keep your guts inside. And then his leg blows off and yeah. his head blows off. And it's, I mean, it's the best ending, right? You know, I, I, I love that ending. Um, it's true. The ending is just kind of like brief, like, uh, you know, till all are one, we've reconquered Cybertron but off screen, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but then the camera just keeps pulling back and pulling back and pulling back until you see the severed head of Unicron rotating like, you know, the moons once did around Cybertron. And that becomes a major feature mm. of the third series. That's, you know, that whole severed Unicron head is also, with its eyes blown out, is also like a sort of iconic image now. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that, like, you know, like you say, I don't know how much thought was put into some of these things, but it's just sort of like, in some cases, lightning in the bottle, isn't it? They just capture that right image, and it, it just works. It just works so well. Um, look at the time. So I think we're going to sort of look at to wrap up now, because there's so much more we could do, but I think we are going to do... Uh, a, a sort of a sister episode. We're going to delve into the wider uh, Transformers uh, universe from 1984 onwards, um, even right up to uh, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but on Netflix there's the the War of Cybertron uh, six part anime, um, which we will definitely talk about because I, I watched that and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, we will do that on 20th Century Geek. But fun like this, so you know, just final thoughts then. Please Julian. tune in. Yes, please go and find it. But final thoughts then on on Transformers the movie, nineteen eighty six. This movie changed my life. Uh, I adore it to this day. Uh, I am always um, confused and surprised by the fact that I am like a, a really structural thinker and a really structural creative writer myself. And the stuff that I like the most is, you know. Like we talked about video drama, where it's like none of that really makes sense, <laughs> you know. I mean, Transformers, like it's filled with problems, but it just takes every crazy idea and just throws it in. It's like you know, robotic sharks, robotic. <clears throat> why not? You know, like that's cool, dude. Just put it in. Um, you know, it, it. There's so much that should have just been censored, not out of good taste, but just logic mm. that just gets in here. And if it didn't work, if it didn't have like, you know, that sort of like manic energy, I mean, I feel like I'm, you know, my brain is in a manic state and I'm on acid when I watch this movie, you know, and in and, and the best possible way. Uh, so, I mean, this is, you know, I, I can't imagine my life without this movie. What about you? <laughs> no, it's, I don't think it's, you know, I was a little younger in AC. It's 86, um, but I caught this. Like, Transformers were huge for me um, as a kid, and I remember watching, I do still, you know, this film does have that sort of uh, nostalgia feel. Like, it takes me back. You know, watching this film isn't just me watching the film sat somewhere. Like, this takes me back to when I was younger. Like, you know, um, there is, I get like a pang. Like, it's a weird feeling, like, you know, when I see certain things in this film, you know, that really do resonate. And uh, you have almost, almost like a sense memory from them um 
And, you know, and that's just from a joy of seeing how cool things are. And, like, you know, uh, the music, the, some of the animation, some of the scenes. Um, but watching it this time with that sense of sort of, you know, to try and understand or you know, to look at these things, like more's there. You know, like you say, whether it was intentional or not, but there's so much more there. This idea of legacy characters of sort of like stepping up and the change that's going through, the risks that were clearly taken by Hasbro and stuff, and whether they paid off or not. But like, this is quite a brave thing. And so to to see it now, I can understand why people of a of a younger age will come to this and go, yeah, not for me. You know, I can yeah. see why. Because animation and, and storytelling, uh, animated storytelling, has progressed and become more sophisticated and, and better and more diverse. But it starts in places like this. You know, I mean, this isn't Disney doing their sort of stuff. This is a, a toy company looking to sell more toys, <laughs> taking a real leap. And so, I don't know, it, there's just something about this film that I really enjoy. And again, it's sort of, you know, it's I've got it on Blu-ray and it stands on my shelf pr- proudly because I think it's a fantastic film. So now I've really enjoyed going back to this and, and discussing it. Yeah. Well, what a joy it's been. And I and I hope everyone will tune into 20th Century Geek mm. and watch, listen to the companion episode. Yes. It might it might even be that that comes first. I'm not sure. It might be that mm-hmm. comes out first. But, yeah, there's been a... I suspect. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, so that's it. But if you do want to talk to us about Transformers, tell us who your favorite Transformers. How did you get into them? What's your, you know, what's your favorite iteration of the series? Find us on Twitter so at Pod Time Space, and um, you know, let's let's know, engage with us, let's see what your thoughts are, um, because I really want to know, um, you know, what. If, tell me how biased and full of shit I am. Yes, yeah. Because I know I am. <laughs> I mean, I, I I would not put up with half of these just errors and you know like (laughs) zipping around where the hell was any of this stuff in so much stuff it's sometimes we can be sort of uh our views can be slightly clouded but it's it's fine that's that's what passion and everything's about but yeah i'd love to see what other people think about this and where does it sort of sit for those um but what we've got next what have we got next i think it's um it's oh, oh another thing that's been being revised. I was just trying to quickly through my head. It's going to be uh, a non 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 heinous episode. It's going to be bodacious. We are going to be talking mm. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, obviously, they they have you know, they've come back. They've done it thirty years later with uh, Face the Music. Um, but yeah, we're going to go back to the very first film, and uh, we're going to have a history lesson. So um, as always. Julian, thank you very much. And uh... thank you, my fellow geek. It's, <laughs> it's a thrill to uh, re- go back and, and relive stuff like this in Bill and Ted, and you know, recollect and you know, find what's working and what isn't, and discover new films as I as I continuously do. So I'm honored to be here. Uh, always honored to be doing this with you. It's a, one of the real joys of my life, and I hope people get a fraction of the joy I get out of. It. <laughs> yeah. Always puts a smile on my face after doing these shows. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, and we will stalk. Yeah, talk, stalk. We will talk again soon. Mm-hmm.